Open your Bibles to John 14. John chapter 14. I appreciate some of you that came to me at break time today and said, just re-preach the first sermon. Just re-preach what you did already. Well, I have a huge surprise for you because I'm going to go with what the Lord has told me to preach in this second service, and you don't have a clue. John 14, verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Amen. John 14, verses 2 and 3 have three precious promises. I will not deny you. I told you that. I explained the first verse, meaning verse 2, a little bit this morning. We'll do it again next Lord's Day. We will stretch it in duration rather than in depth of both, both services today. I want you to have what he has for us now on earth. And it's in verses 21 and 23. Right. And in both places it says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them... He it is that loveth me, and it says, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Right. He has given us his words and his commandments on a particular part of our lives, and it's that particular part of our lives I want to address for a few minutes. And this is not a momentary decision. This has been coming. Turn your Bibles to Job. We will consider the Lord's return for us again next Lord's Day from John 14. But give me a few minutes, and there are only a few minutes left, to introduce another subject that we need to pay attention to because that relationship with God depends on you keeping his words right. and keeping his commandments. Right. If you are looking at the opening page of Job, you are looking at the opening page of the five books of poetry in the Bible. The book of Job teaches us in one word, patience. Patience is cheerfully enduring negative events. It's the book of patience. Turn to the book of Psalms and look at the opening page of the book of Psalms. We are in the divine library. By coming today and sitting in this second assembly, you have given me the privilege 
of taking you into the divine library and showing you what's most important. And I did that this morning. He's coming for us. But we don't have a right to think of heaven if we're not going to keep his commandments. We don't earn our way to heaven, but we prove that we're going there. And we can assure our hearts before him. When you look at the opening of the book of Psalms, it's the second book of poetry in the Bible. And it can be summarized in the word praise. Turn to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is the third book of five of poetry in the Bible. When you look at this opening page of the book of Proverbs, it's another blessing. Psalms is so different from Job. Job and the five characters that we have there trading so much information for our prophet. Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu, and the Lord, of course. And then we have the book of Psalms and the the journal of the man after God's own heart. Now we have the book of Proverbs in front of you. I've taken you into the divine library and I've pulled off the third volume of the shelf. And it's the book of Proverbs and the whole book can be summarized with the word prudence. Prudence is a synonym for wisdom, knowledge and understanding. Keep turning and let's look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is pretty different from Psalms, wouldn't you say? Is Proverbs different from Job? What variety and literary genre we have in the Bible, in God's divine library? Here's the fourth book of poetry, the book of Ecclesiastes. You're looking at that opening page for this fourth volume I've pulled off the shelf in the divine library, and it can be summarized with the word philosophy. It is God's philosophy book. What is man? What is his purpose? What should he do with his life? Keep turning, and let's look at the book called the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes is different than Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is different than Psalms. Ecclesiastes is more like Job. Just looked at and viewed very differently. They both came to the same conclusion, as all the books of the Bible come to the same conclusion. So you're looking at a book entitled The Song of Solomon. When was the last time you read it? When was the last time I quoted from it? The book of Solomon, Song of Solomon can be summarized with one word, passion. Passion. You want God to love you and Jesus Christ to love you and them to come and manifest themselves to you in a way they don't manifest themselves to anyone else and to come and make their abode with you. Then you need to have patience and praise and prudence and philosophy, and you need to have passion for your spouse. God does not care about your productivity with your spouse. 
God does not care that you are partners with your spouse in any endeavor. Because the book in the Bible dedicated to marriage is the Song of Solomon, and it's all about passion. It doesn't have any room for Eugene the engineer or Frank the financier or anyone that thinks life is a grave, sober, structured, systematic use of time. There is no such thing in the Song of Solomon. And at this point, I don't care how much you misunderstand the Song of Solomon. If you think it's all about Jesus, I would ask you to explain to me how it's about Jesus. Because you're going to have to go into territory that you don't understand, and you're going to have to take a man and a woman that have a hot, passionate relationship for each other and somehow equate that to the Lord. And if you do that... It's okay at the moment. It's okay. But what you're going to have to do to get to that place to be able to try to say that it's Jesus and his church is you're going to have to recognize that there's a marriage. There's a male. There's a female. There's a man. There's a woman. They both have anatomies, and they both want to use all senses to take advantage of the other's anatomy. Then you can go and tell me how spiritual you are and how carnal I am. But I will ask you how much passion you have in your marriage because the book is all about passion. It's not about structure. It's not about discipline. It's not about a schedule. People with passion don't care about those things. And there, you know, we can care too much about those things. I know about those things, and I know about passion, and I want both. But when it comes to marriage, I want passion. Right. I don't like mannequins, and I don't like mannequin lovemaking. We want passion. Right. This is only going to be an introduction. And we'll just trust the Lord to see where it goes. But this isn't a choice I've made in the last five minutes, five hours, five days, or five weeks. And I want you to think about the books of the Bible that God stuck in the middle. And I want you to think about whether we've just summarized them in a valuable way. That the whole book of Job is to teach us Patience, praise, prudence, philosophy, passion. I will take up the hermeneutical controversy and expositional exegesis controversy about the book of Song of Solomon at some other time. Right now, I just want to see if I can convince you that I've picked the right P word. Let's see. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me, 
with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love is better than wine. Because of the savour of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Sounds pretty passionate. Mm -hmm. Chapter 3. We'll just get a, give ourselves a little sample of the fifth poetry book of the Bible and its P word. Chapter 3. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth? It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. Sounds pretty passionate. Chapter 7. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter! The joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. Thy navel is like a round goblet, which wanteth not liquor. Thy belly is like an heap of wheat, set about with lilies. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins. Thy neck is as a tower of ivory. Thine eyes like the fish pools in Heshbon, by the gate of Bathrabim. Thy nose is as the tower of Lebanon, which looketh toward Damascus. Thine head upon thee is like Carmel, and the hair of thine head like purple. The king is held in the galleries. How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love, for delights! Sounds pretty passionate. Exclamation point. Amen. Chapter 8, verse 6. Set me <clears throat> as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. Amen, amen and amen. We don't quote from the book of Song of Solomon, do we? We hardly read it. It's in the Divine Library. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Right. It's in the word of God. It's in the divine library. We ought to pay attention to it. 
We ought to learn from it. And so I just want to whet your appetites a little bit and sober your hearts and your minds. These five books, you love Job, and you know that patience is the right word for it. Cheerfully enduring negative events. You, you know that. You love the book of Psalms. We, we emphasize the book of Psalms in this church. And you know it's for praise. And we heard praise from Psalm 139 today. Amen. We love the book of Proverbs. And we have worked to comment on each of its 915 verses. And we thank God for the prudence that he teaches us there. We know that the book of Ecclesiastes has about 50 lessons of philosophy. Some have said, whatever this is worth, I hate even saying it, but I'm just saying it to encourage you about Ecclesiastes. Some have said the best series of messages I ever preached was on the book of Ecclesiastes and the 50 lessons there. God was very merciful in opening that book up to us, not to see it in its chapters, but in its lessons. As we went chunk by chunk through the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, now we're in front of this song. And when you read the words and the verses and the chapters of the Song of Solomon, please don't forget that it's a song. Therefore, it's full. It is full of metaphorical pictures. And if you try to interpret every aspect of them, you are worse than the man trying to interpret every detail of the parable of the Good Samaritan. You have made a serious mistake. You are to get the overall lesson of passion. It is a song, and it is a song of love, and it is the song of songs. Here, you've just had your introduction to this book. Now you've got to bear with me for a couple of minutes about your marriage. For you and for me to have the benefit of God loving us more and Jesus Christ loving us more, like he said in John 14, we have to love him and keep his commandments. We have to keep his commandments because it said, such a man is the one that loves me. One of his commandments for both sexes, for both spouses, is our marriages. It's a huge part of our lives. How can we have the relationship with God if we don't take care of some fundamental commandments and some basic words of Jesus Christ that are found all the way from Genesis chapter 2 to the end of the Bible, where there's a marriage supper of the Lamb? There's a lot about the marriage relationship, and in a few minutes, I want to remind you about it. Here's what I want to do and quit. I want to give you five ways to measure your marriage. And I'll deal with the details later. Five ways to measure your marriage. Does your marriage please God? Are you keeping God's commandments? Are you keeping his words? So that God our Father... The Lord Jehovah, creator of the universe, and his son Jesus Christ, 
want to come and make their abode with you. Five ways to measure your marriage. Number one, God's word. From Genesis to Revelation. Everything the Bible has to say about marriage. God put down his plan, his purpose, the roles, the rules, and judgment for how you conduct yourself in your marriage. Disobeying God in marriage for one of you is like transgendering to live with the same sex. Like Bruce Jenner. Mark your calendars that your pastor sometimes has reserve and discretion. And he did not send you on Friday the picture that he wanted to send you. Now it may show up Tuesday, but it'll have been a, it'll have been a bad day for discretion and reserve. But it is a picture of our new Caitlyn Jenner, who was once the world's greatest athlete, Bruce Jenner, winner of the decathlon in the 1976 Olympics. With his transgendered friend that's 21, male turned female. Give me a second to recollect my thoughts again because it's hard to get it out. Bruce Jenner is a woman named Caitlyn Jenner and he's got a 21-year-old girlfriend, but wouldn't he want to turn to be a girl so that he could have a boyfriend? Anyway, it's a mess. Marriage is a mess. But you know what? It's easy for us to look at Bruce Jenner. Let's, Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't know any better. The Lord's rewired America, and and America deserves the rewiring. You have not been rewired. God's word is the first measure. You need to give yourself one to five stars. Okay? Five stars. A third star is, I'm not doing very well. Because I don't like average, and God doesn't like average. Right. One is terrible. Two is bad. Three is not doing very well. Four is, I'm doing pretty well, but I could do better. Five is, oh yeah, baby. Okay, five. Listen, you're looking at me like I just said something in a pulpit that shouldn't be said in a pulpit. Do you know what I just read? Do you want me to read a few other places? I was discreet again. Mark your calendars. God's word. God has given us his purpose, his plan, the roles, the rules, and how he will judge those that play around in marriage. I mean, the Bible throughout, God sees the tears of a crying woman, whether they're external or internal, when her husband mistreats her. The Bible sees a man who mistreats his wife and will not hear his prayers, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. The Bible is filled with information about marriage. I wrote you recently about David. Everyone wants to think about David as sinning with adultery and murder in the matter of Bathsheba. But another issue with David is he was committing serial polygamy. And that was something God had commanded in Deuteronomy 17 he was not supposed to do. I'm not turning you to the verses right now. There's a whole lot of verses. If I say to you, Genesis 3.16, do you understand that it has something to say about marriage? 
Genesis 3.16 says that thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Period. God said it. That settles it. Thy desire shall be to thy husband. His desires will be your desires. Period. Why would you ever answer back? Why would you question when he expresses his opinion and position on a subject? The Bible goes on and on. We've got Proverbs chapter 30 about the odious woman. We've got Proverbs chapter 31 about the virtuous woman. We have had read to us Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 about what older women are to teach younger women. Men, we've got verses like Proverbs 5.19. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. Three commandments for men in one verse. And it is a high standard for men. And Colossians 3.19 tells men, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. The Lord knows exactly what we're tempted to do, and he's already ruled against it. The first measure of your marriage is God's word. God, his son Jesus Christ, the angels of heaven, this church and this pastor, do not care what you think about your marriage. Do not care what the world thinks about your marriage. Does not not care what your parents think about your marriage. Does not care about anything but God's word. What does God's word say about your marriage? In the purpose, the plan, the roles, the rules, the judgment, and so forth. Second measure of a marriage is Bible examples. Bible examples. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I want five measures and we're done. Five measures of a marriage. So that you and I... My wife and your spouse and all of you young people can prepare to do it better from the day one. And oh, we want that for you. We'll help you in any way that we can with all the mistakes that we've made. But I'm giving you some right now. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For after this manner, and that was described in the first four verses, it'll come later. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. These are Bible examples of great wives. Six, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Women, wives, you can be the daughters of Sarah. You can be like Sarah in character, if you will be a wife, like Sarah was a wife. She called her husband Lord in her thoughts when she thought about her husband. Because that's where you have to go to find Sarah calling Abram Lord was in her thoughts. But she's an example. There are good and bad examples in the Bible of husbands and wives. Ahab and Job had wicked wives. Hannah and Abigail had wonderful wives. Song of Solomon is an example in the Bible. It's not a list of rules. There's no rules for marriage in the Song of Solomon. It's just an eight-chapter example of passion. Oh, yes. But when I get passionate, I'm not as disciplined. Thank the Lord for that. Your discipline makes us sick. You morose character. You're so morose, you don't even know what passion is. 
But passion is what marriage and love and romance are all about. You don't think Jesus Christ was passionate for us? What is his death called? The passion. And I don't mean Mel Gibson's movie at all. It's called his passion. Where did that word originate with? The Bible or man? It's in the Bible. He was crying in Gethsemane with strong crying and sweat as it were great drops of blood. You can't get any more passionate. And that's his example. We have Hannah and Abigail as wonderful wives in the Bible. There are romances from Isaac to Jacob to Ruth to Esther. We have books of the Bible about little romances. Little four-chapter Ruth. It's a romance. What are you going to call it? A doctrinal dissertation? I'm not aware of a doctrine being taught very much in the book of Ruth, but I sure do see some romance there. How about the book of Esther? Do we have another book of the Bible that's pretty much romance? I love the the divine library. You know my favorite book of the Bible, and it's not anything I've mentioned so far. It's the book of Hebrews, because it exalts the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we want to look at Bible examples. So when you compare yourself, your marriage, to the Bible examples, like the Song of Solomon, like Jesus and his church, like Sarah, where are you? One to five stars. Do you have cockroaches under the bed? Or do you have a five-star hotel? One to five stars. Got to give yourself. Third measure, holy brethren. The Bible tells us, and I've read it already today, so I'm not going to turn you there. It's Philippians 3.17. Paul said, follow me and those that walk so as ye have us for an example. The best brethren in the church or sisters in the church that live like me, follow them. So there are examples in the church. This measure is different from brotherly counsel. This is by brotherly example. There are good husbands and there are good wives in this church that others admire. Your rebellious excuse that they are different temperaments or anything like that is wickedness. They are simply godly and you're not. Why forfeit? You can do exploits for God and a spouse in a contest that has rewards on the way to the reward. So the third measure is holy brethren. How many stars are you going to give yourself? I'm a husband. I love my wife. I'm attentive. The pastor's talking about some P word. I'm not sure how to spell it, and I certainly have never used it. Um, Passionate. I'm going to give myself a three star. Well, the reason I'm preaching this series of messages is so we can all get to five on all these measures. Fourth measure, wise counselors. A benefit and a reason for churches is for counsel. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Let me just remind you why we have a church. I went through this yesterday with the new member class. Hebrews chapter 10, we have a church, not not for a pulpit. We, We don't have a church just for a man to preach. We No, no. A church is a body of believers that are all supposed to be helping each other. Here's what it says, and this is what we believe, and this is why a church assembles. This is why we get together. And it's, it's surprising when you understand that the only place in the Bible where it says not to skip church 
and to make sure that you're there together is for this reason. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another. Here's why we come together in the church. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Did I read that L word back there in the Song of Solomon? Did it come out a time or two? So how do we provoke to marital love? By coming together in a church and encouraging each other in the Lord to love our spouses and to have good works. Verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together because the pastor feels bad when only a few show up. It does not say that. It says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but the opposite of forsaking, exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. We get together to consider one another, to provoke one another, and to exhort one another. So the fourth measure is how well do you does your marriage measure up to the advice, counsel, instruction, rebuke, warnings that you have received from others? Men's meetings, women's meetings, private meetings, pulpit preaching. How do you compare? The Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Who are you willing to expose your marriage to to get it to five star? Because we want it to be five star. Do you use counselors? Do you remember from Psalm 139 about asking for counsel? Lord, show me your will in my marriage. And then as soon as he shows you his will by a counselor, oh no, I've got a reason for that, Lord. You've got to show me something different. No. We want to be submissive to God's word on this subject. And there's, a, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. You need the objectivity of others to look past your bitterness, your blindness, your habits. And I'll try to do that for you, but we've done it in many other ways. There are proverb commentaries. There are updates. Think back over the last year. There are ladies' meetings, men's meetings. We've done it. How do you measure by the counsel that you've heard. Do you use them or are you a private person? Do you know what a private person is? I don't want anyone to know how much of a failure I am as a Christian. That's what a private person means. So I'm going to hide because I've got so many problems and I've got so many sins and my pride won't let me disclose them. So I'm a private person. I'm not going to ask us to change anything and talking about our marriages I just want you to expose yours to the light of God's word. Wise counselors, in all that you've heard, how many stars do you get? Okay, number five, spousal effect. Character and conduct by one spouse may be measured by the other spouse's pleasure. Character and conduct by you can be measured by how happy your spouse is. Is your spouse passionately out of their mind like the two nutcases in the Song of Solomon? Now, I said that just to get your attention, that the Song of Solomon sets the bar pretty high. And they are passionate about each other. Let me just say it this briefly. 
because I have a lot to say on this particular point, your spouse is not going to tell you if they're a good Christian spouse because they don't like hurting people and they know charity. And they know that the first part of the definition of charity is charity suffereth long. So they're willing to suffer being married to you. And if it's a good wife, due to reverence and her wanting to reverence her husband, especially after this, you think you're going to get an honest answer now? (laughs) Due to reverence, she doesn't want to tell her husband what she really thinks. So you've got to figure it out. And if you need help, there's a pastor and his wife that will help you. If you need help, you've got to consider and examine your spouse and determine what they're really experiencing in their life. We could measure marriage by what you think of it, but that's not worth much. Let's measure by the effect of your marriage. Because there was an effect in the Song of Solomon. Has Jesus Christ's love of us affected us? Does our love of him affect him? Isn't that the verse I started off with? If we love him, he will love us more, and he will come and manifest himself to us. Men and women are both responders. You can fire up your marriage by investing love in your spouse. It is a choice. Revelation chapter 2 says that the church at Ephesus had lost their first love. All they had to do was a three-step process. Remember from whence they had fallen. Remember back to when they had their first love of Christ. Repent. Lord, I'm sorry. I have let the things of this world choke out my love of you and do the first works. Get back into the word of God, singing, praying, meditating, and praising the way that you did when you were in your first love with Christ. It's that simple on three steps. It's the same in marriage. Remember the hottest time, what do I mean by that? The most romantic, passionate time you ever had with your spouse. Repent that it is not like that right now and do what you did back then. It It doesn't say anything about waiting for them to do what they did back then. You do what you did back then and they will do what they did back then. That's the way that it works. Men and women are responders, and you can fire up your marriage by investing in it. The Bible says, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Why is your spouse unhappy? We can tell. They're perfunctory. They're morose. They're structured. They're consistent. They're systematic. They're disciplined, they're temperate, all of which words do not fit with passion or romance. It's going to show, and we want happy marriages in this church. If your husband is not ravished, that means to be overwhelmed and taken apart by your love. Is it his fault or your fault? If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. Some of you look like you have some pretty poor marriages. Poor. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, 
it would utterly be contemned. Come on, brethren, we can do better. Romance is wildly energizing and thrilling, so why is any spouse perfunctory or sober? It's just flat out too good, and, and you can lie to yourself all that you want about how you've reached a holier level. You've reached higher ground the rest of us haven't seen yet because your relationship with the Lord is so good you can't have one with your spouse that he commands you to have in order to have one with him. I don't believe you can have one with him until you have one with your spouse because he expects you to do it with your spouse or he's not even going to hear your prayer for one. Right. According to his word, that's all I have to say right now. And I'm sorry that if it really upset your apple cart that I did not pray in the second coming of Jesus Christ in the second sermon. But I'm telling you that's what the Lord wanted you to hear right now for the second sermon. If Jesus is coming again, I want every single one of you to meet him with an absolutely five-star rating on your marriage for him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant in that big part of your life that I gave you. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.